Welcome back to Revelation on Demand Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and once again, it's just me today. Hope everyone's having a good day. I'm having a pretty decent day so far. I usually do this recording on my day off, so this is just the start of my time off. We record normally on Fridays. Today I'm back on schedule. So to update everyone, I'm doing pretty good with Lent. Uh, I think I mentioned like around day 11, it was really difficult to not play video games. And to, I think this weekend is going to be another difficult weekend. Uh, pretty much only two weeks left, so I'm pretty sure I can make it. Uh, there was a little bit in my Bible study that you know I was just realizing. Uh, it said that Jesus was not going to eat or drink again until pretty much the second coming, the, the time that he reestablishes uh, recreation, which we've studied a little bit about. And it just kind of put it in perspective. It was like, well, I'm complaining about not playing video games for just over a month. And Jesus, well, not that he needs it, but he's not eating or drinking until recreation, which so far it's been 2,000 years since that. So or almost 2,000 years. So it really puts it in perspective of what what I'm you know what I'm giving up and what others need to give up sometimes and what Jesus gave up for us. Uh, so also putting in perspective how I don't really need to play video games. So hopefully this is gonna get rid of some of my entitlement to my video game time and I won't be so worried when I'm not getting it. I'll just be more grateful for the time that I do get. So I think that's really what uh, fasting is all about is realizing that we don't need the things of this world as much, especially today where food fasting is not necessarily the most common or prevalent. It's more like fasting of things, other things we consume regularly and that really can show us that we don't need these things. You know, all we really need is Christ. And that's that's really what's been on my heart over Lent. And then, as of what's going on in the world, I, I've heard some news that potentially Putin is going to have a nuclear response to some to any aggression on the U.S. part. And I just hope and pray that our leaders are guided to not instigate something like that. I, I'm not sure if MAD would still... I'm, I'm sure it's all still in there, that it will happen automatically, but I'm not sure if the people of the world have the taste for MAD anymore which for anyone who doesn't know, that's mutually assured destruction. That's if one person fires their nukes, everyone's going to fire their nukes. I'm not so sure that's going to happen anymore. So more than likely, it just end up with a lot of people suffering from a nuclear strike and possibly some responses to that that could be just as bad. So I pray that whatever happens, that this war does not escalate. So today we are in Amos chapter 5. Last last episode, we went over Amos chapter 4. And as I've said several times in this, I understand why people don't study Amos all that much. It's because he's talking directly to Israel at the time that he was, you know, a prophet. And 
we we see a lot of him just talking about how judgment is going to come down on Israel and uh, you know they need to repent and they need to come back to Christ and they need to start doing better things so we just see a lot of this and Amos talks a lot of the second coming which I don't think he necessarily knew what he was he was referring to again a lot of the prophets they they blend the two uh, the first coming and the second coming. There's there's several prophecies where you can see a, a delineation between the two, but most of them are just talking about both comings as one. So Amos, of course, is saying, you know, the end days will come, and, and here we see where we get the term the Lord's Day from. So we'll see that in this chapter. Since he's one of the first prophets when he popularize this phrase because I don't think he turned he coined this phrase Israel was already using this phrase to begin with in in the time that he was a part of so I think he just uh, made it canon basically put it in the Bible so this is where we get the Lord's Day language from this is a lot where uh, other prophets in the the uh, apostles got all the all the imagery of the Lord's day. So going into the chapter, uh, this is talking a lot about the future judgment of Israel, which some of it will happen, you know, soon after Amos and some of it will happen in the last days. Uh, again, he makes another call to repentance to Israel. Uh, no matter how much he's, he's, you know, downing on them. He's always saying, you know, they're, you could just still turn back. Like, I know you've done all these terrible things and, and judgment is coming, but like you could still turn back to God and, and just put an end to this. Now, a lot of this, this chapter is written much, much like the Lamentations in the Bible, which if you go to the book of Lamentations, it's a lot of poetry or there's even some in Proverbs where we have these, these special Hebrew poems that were called Quinaz, which uh, is a lot, a lot like uh, a form of poetry, like a haiku. It has a, f a certain word structure in Hebrew. A lot of words are three letters. So it has a certain word structure. So it had three words, then two words. And it's this disjointed sort of poetry that kind of is always supposed to be some sort of dirge or some sort of lamentation. It's always supposed to, it's a stilted for the reason to make, make unpleasant feelings in the poetry. So we'll, we'll see here that this, it, it's not so stilted in English, but in, in the Hebrew, it is, it is supposed to be a dirge. So with further ado, let's get into the scripture. This is Amos chapter five. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take on concerning you. Fallen is the virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city is that your city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will reduce to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one quench it. 
So this chapter starts off like many of the other chapters, saying, hear this word. Again, he's he's quoting other prophets, and of course Jesus quotes him later on in his career. It's like, hear this word, say, implying that this is important. He calls Israel a virgin, and this description is pointing out how helpless and vulnerable they were as a people, and, and especially when it comes to God's plan, like, they are just but virgins in the sight of God's plan, and, and they're doing things that obviously are, are going to stoke God's fury. And the remnant of Israel that he talks about in this section is is supposed to be kind of like a shipwreck and not, not like, oh, he's going to save this small remnant and, and build from it. He's going to do that, but the whole point of this remnant is to serve as a warning, like, hey, this is what happens when... You go against God's words. What happens when you are uh, un- unholy? When you partake of the things of the world? This is there's supposed to be a warning, basically, not a section of hope. So Israel's only hope to survive any of this is gen- genuine repentance, and again, it's going to be that remnant. Now, Bethel was a northern kingdom. We've talked a little bit about them. Gilgal was a sanctuary near Jericho. Again, we've talked a little bit about them in in previous chapters. And uh, the new one added here was Beersheba. So this is a location in Judah that perhaps was uh, known for pilgrimages. And uh, it's brought up in reference with Bethel and Gilgal, because, again, this is one of those holy sites or, or, or places they considered holy places they would go to regularly sacrifice and, and quote-unquote worship God in their very, uh, I guess you'd say, pragmatic ways where they're, they're going through the motions they're not, and they're not doing these things out of a devotion to God. They're doing these things to look good or to, to cover for their immorality and stuff like that. So Beersheba was known as the Well of the Seven, or the Well of the Oath, and it was associated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so the fathers of Israel. Uh, we, we see that this these places, their names usually have a very, very important meaning to what had happened there. So again, this is the Well of the Oath, which I'm assuming is talking about the oath made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, about you know their sons being many and in the location being given to them. So this is on the southernmost border of Israel or near the southernmost border of Israel. And it's mentioned with Bethel and Gilgal again, because again, there's possibly an altar here. There's places where ritual sacrifice and, and worship are taking place. And then we see it talk about the house of Joseph. And this was the northern kingdom. And that would have been uh, Judah. That would have been the area below Israel. And it was, uh, that included Ephraim and Manasseh. And we see that Ephraim and Manasseh, again, uh, it talks about, the Bible talks a lot about people and then also the cities those people were, or cities or locations that those people were uh, home to. So we see that Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's sons, and these was the sons where uh, his father blessed them and crossed his hands, if you remember that story where he put the younger before the older. Uh, so a lot of the time when you talk about the 12 tribes, Joseph is considered as one tribe and Ephraim and Manasseh are considered the tribes as part of him. And there's a point where when Dan falls out, and we studied this in Revelation, when, Dare, when Dan falls away from being one of the 12 tribes, that Ephraim and Manasseh become two separate tribes to fill in that 12 tribe 
uh, slot. Uh, whereas before Dan falls away, it's just the house of Joseph or the, or the tribe of Joseph. So carrying on at our second section, starting at verse seven, there are those who turn justice to bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor. You impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. So Amos refers a lot to justice and righteousness as tied together in this in this book. And we see where he's he's very much laying out the the very things. He starts out with this 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 section talking about God and you know who he was and a lot of these references are very common uh, mythos that uh, pagan worshippers had that other deities did these things. You know other other deities. In fact, many of them thought the Pleiades and Orion were deities themselves, and then. There was deities who turned the day to night and, and midnight to day and <clears throat> called forth the sea. And like there was a deity for every one of these things. Whereas Amos is saying, yeah, no, that's not right. You know, the one God did all these things. And then we talk about uh, bitterness in here. And again, uh, this translation didn't have it, but it's, it's using... The, it uses the words wormwood, which ties in to an entire study on wormwood that we did in Revelation. But anyways, if you weren't for there, there for that, wormwood is this bitter plant. Metaphorically, it's used to refer to sadness and bitterness. So often when, when it's brought up, it's usually talking about being bitter or sad or just, you know, in these kind of down low emotional states that are caused because of feeling bad for things that are happening or things that have happened to you. And often that is leading to a, a sense of bitterness. So it's not just, it's not just uh, feeling sad. It's not just being depressed or anything. It's, it's turning that sadness into bitterness instead of giving it to the Lord and, and, you know, rejoicing, even though, it hurts sort of thing. So this hymn is to remind Israel of Lawai's grandeur. As I said at the beginning there, it, it kind of says, you know, you know, these things, well, the Lord did it. So again, often when it's talking about the things God is known for, it's associated with a common mythos of a deity that is doing that thing, or that is known for that thing, or that is the God of that thing, quote unquote. And it's saying, no, that God didn't do it. Our God did that. And then we see the Pleiades and Ryan brought up here. Like I said, they were often referred to as gods themselves in some pagan religions. And then uh, again, 
astral worship was another common practice where the signs and the stars were their their gods or they were these these ways and we still do this today there's there's um oh the sign stuff i forgot what it's called I can't believe I'm blanking on it. Anyways, where they, they read the stars and they decide how to live their lives based off the stars. And of course, as we know, that's not, that's just the creation moving the way the creation was supposed to move. And of course, God made all that to happen. So for us to worship the creation, it basically comes down to humans get off track when they start re worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And that's that's what Israel has done here. Israel has gotten off track. They're worshiping the creation in many different forms. They're 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 worried about their wealth and they're worried about like their stone mansions and their lush vineyards and 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 he's saying, you know, I'm I'm you you did all this. Now you're not gonna reap the benefits from it. And it's all because you've abused the poor and I mean you levied the tax on the poor, you've imposed their grain taxes and all this, like you're you're getting because back in 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 Leviticus there was curses associated with doing these things to the poor that were not all right to abusing the poor and these curses were often like you're gonna build all this wealth but you're not going to get to enjoy it because that is what the curse is so Amos is very much saying, you know, you've, you've gained all this wealth and you're enjoying your wealth, but it's all going to come to an end and you're not going to have it anymore. And we're going to see in the next sections, uh, as we get through the middle of this, we're going to see that he is very much talking about how Israel is about to suffer a great downfall. And of course, littered throughout this, he's, he's not only talking about the, the downfall Israel is about to face, but he's also talking about the end times when Israel will face their ultimate judgment. Continuing on at verse 14, seek good, not evil that you may live and the Lord God almighty will be with you. Just as you say, he is hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord God almighty says. There will be wailing in all streets and cries of anguish in pub every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? So as we studied before, the day of the Lord, and, and as I mentioned, you know, this is where it's saying, this is when the day of the Lord is is, is going to become kind of canon and, and be cemented as a as a actual term. So right there at the beginning, he starts off with, you know, saying, you know, repent, come back. Like there's still a chance you don't have to. And I think this is more talking to the individuals in Israel and not necessarily talking to Israel anymore, because at this point, I feel like Israel's already gone too far and, and that judgment's going to come down. So he's, he's at this point calling out for individuals to repent and, you know, get a chance to get out of this and, and, 
and have God's mercy, which, you know, he abundantly provides. So many prophets preached repentance in the hope that there was still time to avert divine wrath. So Amos is very much still here. You know, he's, he's bringing fire and brimstone saying for your sins, this is what you're going to, what's going to happen. But there's still a chance to turn around. Like if this, if this talks to you, if this, like if you realize what's about to happen and, and you, you that wakes you up, like turn around, turn back to God, like go the right way. So the, there's always this, this, call from the prophets for everyone to return to God. The wailing is referring to the sorrow and lamentation that will occur when God's wrath comes upon these people. And again, we see a lot of this as it starts moving into this this day of the Lord talk where we've talked about this in Revelation where there's just that day of the Lord is not going to be a very happy day on earth. Uh it's probably going to be a pretty sad day for everyone else having to watch, you know, watch destruction and, and the, the wrath of the, of God poured out on the world. That's, that's still going to be pretty hard to watch, even though it is just, and it is what God has, has uh, deemed necessary for the sins that are caused. So from here, into much of the next chapter, Amos is talking about a series of woes. And we see that it's talking about this day of the Lord and how dark and how terrible it'll be. And, and as I said, we've studied in Revelation where just this day of the Lord, there's going to be plagues. The earth will shake. The clouds will rip open. The sky will rip open. You know, Jesus will come. The armies of, 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 God and in the devil are going to clash on the on the battleground and ultimately God will be victorious and recreation will start. Amos is the earliest prophet as I've said to bring up this the day of the Yahweh so we can thank Amos for this this term. Uh, it was it was a concept before he he made the term part of scripture but it was it was the idea that on the day of Yahweh, it was going to be a day of vindication and victory over their enemies. And Amos is pointing out like, yeah, that's what it's going to be, but you're on the wrong side of that, that line. Like it's going to be a day of vindication and injustice and judgment, but you're on the wrong side of that line. Like you need to be on this side of the line with the, with God. Like you're going to be on the side that gets that, the brunt of the force, the, you know, the, the damnation in the, in the, uh, the uh, you're getting the wrath. You're, you're on the receiving side of the wrath. And as as I've said, we've seen that in Revelation, where the seals and the bowls and the trumpets and all these these things that happen that cause this destruction of the earth and destruction of the people left on the earth. And it's all getting creation ready for recreation for this time. It's cleansing it. It's washing away all the bad things. And it's using destruction to do that. Continuing on at verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. 
away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending, never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestals of your idols, and the star of your god, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. So he's pointing out how God dislikes the religious action, which is just covering up their, their morality. So like I said, they're going through the motions. They're they're making these sacrifices they're supposed to. They're trying to stay within, quote unquote, the law, you know, looking for the loopholes sort of thing. It's this very legalistic way of looking at the law. And often, more often than not, they're not following the law even to begin with. So he, God is very much saying like, your worship offerings, your sacrifice offerings, like I, I don't want it because you're not genuine about this. You're 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 making these these sacrifices and you're going through the motions and being ingenuous about this. And I think God still doesn't like this today. And and we see this every now and then with people in these larger churches who are just I mean you can find them in smaller churches where they're just they're being holier than thou and they, they think like they're doing the right thing and that they have favor from God and that, you know, God is pleased with all the sacrifices they're making. And they often talk about them in that, in that manner. And that's, that's the thing that God is, is not happy with here is like, you're just better off not, you're just better off being an unbeliever. If you're not, if you're going to uh, mock me with, with you know this worship so it says up here in this translation it's talking about your king and the star god in some translations it actually gives a name which is sikuth which is the king and kiyun i'm butchering those i'm sure which is the star god and sikuth may have been an obscure babylonian god also known as sakut which was just like this this kingly uh, kind of father god figure in Babylonian culture in um, Kiyun which also referred to Kwan or Shun in the Babylonian name for Saturn so again this goes back to that astral worship where they're worshipping the stars and the movement of the planets and we see so in some translations it just turns it to common nouns for idolatry as it says it says shrine to your king and the pedestals of your idol and star of your god instead of being <clears throat> the actual deities which is a blessing and can also be uh poor translation tactics uh but i just wanted to mention that this was the deities he's worshiping or not worshiping that he's referring to in this section that these were the idols he was he was saying that or that god was saying through amos like these these are the guys that you are worshiping and therefore you're going to receive punishment for this and of course this whole section was pretty much all the gods god saying that not not amos this was amos just you know saying this is what god told me guys and uh you know here you go. So, so this this verse is mostly just announcing the worship of the heavenly bodies. Like I said, the the, the king god, the star god, and and of course that star star god being a planet, which planet worship was very common 
in, in the in ancient times as we see in the romans they studied a lot about the stars and the planets and they made the pantheon of gods after the planets and whatnot kind of based on the greek pantheon and all that wonderful stuff and then of course it says i will exile you beyond damascus and of course Assyria would soon come into Israel after this time and uh, deport them and force them out of the area and make them resettle in the area in Mesopotamia. And of course, we see that Amos is referring to both the end times and the soon to happen thing, which we see a lot with the prophets, especially before Jesus Christ comes. The first time we see the prophets, they often can't see. very distinct lineage between what's about to happen and what's going to happen in the far future when Jesus comes again. So what's the takeaway for today? I think that even, I think there's a good takeaway actually. It's just kind of coming to me here. Even if the societies that we live in or the countries that we live in or the communities that we live in are not following God, even if they are making choices that are just blaspheming to God that are turning away from God that are putting idols like money and fame and fortune and all these things before God. If they are so sinful that they're just turning from God hard as the American culture is today, even when that's happening, us as believers, we don't have to be part of that. We can be better we can turn to God. We can bring him our woes, our worries, our anxieties. We can lay them at his feet and we can say, God, I know that the people around me are making poor choices and turning from you, but I turn towards you. I know what your son did. I know he died on the cross for every sin I made and every sin I'm about to make. And I won't take that in vain. I want to follow you. Even though the world around me is getting darker, even though the people around me aren't following you, I want to follow you. I want to be your servant. I want to do the things you want me to do and carry out your will. And God will just embrace us in that moment and tell us what to do. He will give us a path. He will, he will love us. He will show us what we need to do. He will give us scripture to help us understand what path is right for us. And that's, that's what we can take away from Amos, even when the people around us aren't being good followers of God. We can still be those followers and we can stand firm knowing that when this life ends it's only just the beginning for us we will live forever in recreation doing the things God's planned for us to do and it'll be glorious thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.